Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Watch podcast series. I'm John Briggs, Global Head of Death Strategy. This series helps you cut through the noise of global financial markets with a quick take on the upcoming trends to watch. Hello, everyone. I've been speaking a lot about the U.S. of late, and we did get the minutes from the Fed this past week, but the information mostly served to reinforce our views on the taper timing, which is for some indication that it's imminent in September, uh, an announcement in November, and startup taper in December. So with that said, I'm actually going to shift gears this week and focus on the U.K., as we got some important data there this week in employment and inflation. Now, this podcast is being recorded before we get the retail sales data, so we'll see how that comes in. But um, the employment data continued to show decent progress towards reduction of slack on the employment on the labor side. Um, however, inflation was softer than expected, and you know that is in line with our also our view that inflation in the UK is going to be more transitory, whereas in the US it's going to be less so. Um, and as, as listeners will remember, we took a look last week about the U.S. and how the U.S. dollar angle from the Fed and the, their reduction accommodation and their taper plans, how that would impact the dollar. Um, but this week, I want to take a look at the other side of the coin, which is why I have Paul Robson, our other co-head of G10 FX Strategy, with me today. So, Paul, last week, Brian reviewed our overall defensive approach to the dollar and how we continue to shy from, away from broad dollar shorts and have done so since early in the summer. But, you know, from your perspective in London, from a sterling perspective, we've moved lower from 140 to now below 137 just in these few weeks in August. So what are your thoughts behind that move? And has this recent data we've gotten this week impacts our outlook for sterling? Well, I think when you look at cable, so sterling dollar, um, I think it's just been another week, another story uh, of the dollar, things that Brian would have spoken about uh, last week, um, more sort of risk aversion in markets, the sort of dollar does better safe haven uh, status when markets are a little bit more fearful, sort of less about US exceptionism. In fact, some of the data out of the States has been a little bit uh, weaker, and actually that's caused some of the risk aversion, ironically, that has seen people uh, buy back some of their, their dollar shorts that they might have had against sort of risk positive uh, currency currencies and you've also seen the sort of other safe haven currencies doing relatively well so a large part of that decline that you spoke about um, is more about the dollar side of it than sterling um, that said for sterling it's a sort of high beta risk positive currency um, it's a current account deficit uh, currency there's sort of uncertainty obviously about covid still lingering uncertainty about brexit so you know, I describe it as a sort of fair weather currency to do well. It needs risk markets to do uh, relatively well. And that's why I think you're seeing sterling come off a little bit. But importantly, only against the safe haven uh, currencies, it does better on the sort of bilateral rates against things like Aussie, for example, and uh, Kiwi. Uh, in terms of the, the data, you mentioned the, the CPI numbers. Yeah, they were uh, weaker than expected. I mean, I would Taken with a little pinch of salt, there's lots of uncertainty about these data, sort of seasonality in the data, the timing of sales. Um, I think it's quite hard to um, properly estimate uh, inflation. And of course, we had some quite decent employment uh, numbers as well. And I think the key takeaway there is an economy that is uh, normalizing more quickly uh, than policymakers uh, had expected. People are rising up their uh, growth forecasts. And it, importantly, the sort of economic scarring 
from COVID is probably less than uh, markets feared um, that say just sort of six months ago. So um, I think that a large part of it isn't a sort of deteriorating sterling story, but more broader risk appetite uh, and the dollar. So you're leading me a little bit into my next question, but I'll, I'll add that, you know, also we've got the better uh, COVID related data in the UK. So if we get past this risk aversion, maybe you'll see that also uh, kick in when it comes to, you know, the Delta and the variants and such. But where's the euro in all this? So in the back of my mind, and this is where that, you know, something you said struck me is the fact the Bank of England, if you've got an economy more normalizing more quickly, maybe the earliest hiker of the major central banks, followed by the Fed, and then perhaps eventually the ECB. I mean, how does that all focus into your thinking when you're thinking about the currency market? Well, I think for the, the euro, it's not necessarily that the euro is going to track rate expectations. And obviously, the, the ECB is uh, fundamental to that. But it's about the things I've t- spoken about uh, in terms of safe haven uh, currencies, uh, the currencies that might be preferred as a funder for risk positive um, trade recommendations or t- trading views when market, if and when markets start to do a little bit better. So uh, if you expect the ECB not to be raising rates, well, potentially to you know, 2024, 2025, then um, it's going to be favoured as a, uh, a funder currency. And so what this means is that uh, when risk markets rally, the euro will tend to underperform um, a little bit against the dollar, depending on relative growth, but against high beta currencies. But it also means that when you get risk aversion like we're currently uh, seeing, then the, the euro does relatively well. And actually, that, that's actually picked up in recent days where you're seeing the European crosses um, all, all rally. Now, at the same time, I think we have to be mindful of the level of growth within the euro area. So our European economics team are above consensus in terms of growth. And at some level, that will see uh, unhedged capital inflows, portfolio flows into the euro area, potentially supporting uh, the euro. Now, for that, I think you're just going to have to see some softer trends in uh, US states, or at least that it's fully priced. And there, I think the US consumer will be what people are are, are watching. But until US exceptionalism starts to fade a little bit, even that strong growth in Europe might not be enough to send uh, euro dollar higher. So um, when we look to the future, it feels like euro dollar capped to the ranges. It's like biased uh, lower. uh, And a rally will probably need some signs of inflation picking up earlier than expected, harder than expected in, in Europe. But probably uh, softer data in the US. And at the moment, that doesn't seem uh, particularly likely. So we're just neutral on euro dollar. Thanks, Paul. That is, it's really helpful, though, what you're talking about as far as like long term frameworks to how to think about, you know, some of these currencies as far as safe havens or high beta to risk and, you know, how much that's being all caught up in this current, you know, risk off growth worry phenomenon that we're able to get past that some of these themes or, 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 trends from maybe a couple of months ago can re-engage. That's, that's very, very helpful. Thanks for joining us this week, Paul. Um, so that's going to be it for this week. Next week, we get preliminary PMI data. So we'll see if that shakes up any of these currency pairs, as well as European sentiment data and the Fed's Jackson Hole conference on Friday. Thank you and have a good week. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Weekly Watch. Please subscribe to our channel to get future episodes. We also encourage you to explore more of our content on our website and other social media channels.